0: You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of 1 Samuel. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Ryan now. If you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to look at chapters 13 and 14 tonight. Of course, we are in that section where Saul is the king of Israel, the first king of Israel. They They so longed for a king. They didn't want God to reign over them. They wanted a man to rule them. And they begged God and they pleaded with God and he gave them a king. And now they're finding that they got exactly what they were looking for, which was a man who is fallible, a man who makes bad decisions, a man who doesn't lead them to the Lord, but in fact leads them away from the Lord because you cannot... Take people any further than you are yourself, and you can 't lead people any closer to Jesus than you are personally and It never ceases to amaze me how good we are at absolutely destroying our lives and as i as I meet with people and I listen to what they 're going through, and I listen to what they 're um, experiencing and the decisions they 're making and it it just doesn't ever cease to amaze me how adept we are at being inept if you know what i mean how 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 good we are at absolutely destroying our lives and we see that with Saul a guy that had all kinds of potential a guy that when they looked at him they said this is a guy that's going to be an amazing asset to our nation he stood Head and shoulders above everybody else. He was handsome. He was smart. And yet, he lacked a heart for the Lord. And without that, you're worthless to the kingdom of God. In fact, you're a danger to the kingdom of God. You can be the most talented, the most intelligent, the best looking. You can be the person that everybody wants to be like. And the person that's so popular. And the person that everybody says, wow, you're amazing. And yet without a heart for God, your life is wasted. And that's what we see with Saul. He had all the talent, but he lacked passion for the Lord. David lacked all of the the human characteristics that Saul had, but he had a heart for God. And I think sometimes we fail to to recognize the difference between David and Saul because they both sinned. Why is it that when Saul sinned, as we're going to see over the next couple weeks, that when Saul sinned, the kingdom was taken from him? The carpet was pulled out from under him. But when David sinned, yes, he had repercussions, but God continued to allow him to serve. And the kingdom was never taken from him. Have you ever thought about that? And the reason is, is because Saul sinned out of a complete disregard for God. Where David sinned out of a weakness in his flesh. And there is a difference. There is a sin, there is a life that just says, I don't care about God, I have no heart for God. And there is a sin that says, I love the Lord, but man, the spirit's willing and the flesh is weak. And hopefully, hopefully you fall into that, that camp of David and, and you're confessing your sin. And you're crying out to God to deliver you and, and to free you from the things that are keeping you from obedience. That was the difference between David and Saul. And it says Saul reigned one year. And when he had reigned two years over Israel. So this semicolon actually represents entire year here he he's now reigned two years not very long it didn't take Saul very long for his true colors to show it didn't take very long for his heart or lack of heart for the Lord to appear and you know what we can put on a facade and we can pretend but only for so long and it will be manifest it will show itself to be true and that's what happens with Saul after two short years and Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. You remember back in chapter 8 that he had 300,000 men. And now he, he whittles it down to 3,000 men. 2,000 were, were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his ten. And so we're introduced to Jonathan who is the son of Saul. A man who was diametrically opposed to his father. Which I think shows that we don't have to be like our parents. We don't have to commit the same sins that they did. Saul had no heart for the Lord and yet Jonathan, like David, had a heart for God. And I think that's why David and Jonathan were such good friends. Jonathan understood the Lord. He understood, as we're going to see tonight in one of my favorite stories, he understood what it was to trust God. And to just surrender yourself to the Lord. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Interesting. It's Jonathan that fights the battle. It's Jonathan that wins a victory. But look who's blowing the trumpet. Saul. Even taking credit away from his own son. Wanting everybody to notice him. When he should have been giving the credit to Jonathan. And if you're a person who wants to draw attention to yourself all the time, man, you need to look at yourself in the mirror and you need to see those Saul tendencies. Because Saul was a guy that wanted the glory. He wanted the attention. He wanted people to notice him. And that's why when David came on the scene, he gets so jealous. When the women begin to sing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And Saul was furious. He couldn't handle that because he so wanted the attention. He so wanted the glory, even willing to steal it from his own son. And if you're a person that's taking credit for other people's ideas and other people's work, man, you got to you got to stop that. You got to repent of that. You got to say, "Lord, forgive me for wanting attention so much that I'm even willing to take it when it isn't deserving." But you know what? On the flip side of this with Jonathan in ministry, especially, but in life, there's times where you'll have ideas and you'll have Things that you did and that you put into play and that were things that you should be getting the credit for and yet somebody else gets the credit. And our tendency is to lash out. Our tendency is to say, hey, that was my idea. What are you talking about? How could you steal my credit? How could you take my glory? And all it does is make us look foolish. And so in those situations, when someone else is rewarded and credited with your ideas and with your work, swallow your pride. Give it to the Lord and just let God take care of it. Now all Israel heard it said that Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines and not, and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. And so the Philistine army, 30,000 chariots. You can't even conceive of that. 6,000 horsemen, the, uh, an army that outnumbered anything that you could even count beyond your ability to count. As the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And so here's this huge army encamped against them. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger. For the people were distressed. Then the people hid in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and in pits. So here's your army Saul. When they see what they're up against they just flee. And they hide in caves and in behind rocks and wherever they can go. That's the army that he's assembled. And I'm sure at about this time, they're beginning to realize that maybe it's not so great to have a king. Maybe this isn't exactly what we thought it was going to be. And you know what? Our nation is going to find out that no man is a savior. That no man besides Jesus can solve your problems. That our nation is going to quickly find out that no man can possibly keep all of these promises. And people are so excited and people are so enthralled with a voice of change, just like they were with Saul. And yet they quickly found out that that men will always let you down. And you know, just like these people were living in a time of crisis, I mean, we're living in a time of crisis. And I think it's our tendency to run and to hide and to avoid things. It's our tendency to... To maybe pretend like it isn't happening. Or it's our tendency to be so afraid that we're just paralyzed with our fear. That we don't do anything. And that we're just hiding from, from reality. And what the Lord wants for us in these times, just like He wanted for them, is for us to run to Him in a time of crisis. Not to hide. Not to panic. Not to be paralyzed with fear. The Lord hasn't given us a spirit of fear. And right now I see so much fear even in the church. Even amongst Christians, paranoia of of what might be. And God hasn't called us to paranoia. He hasn't called us to be just frozen with fear and and so freaked out. It's not what he's called us to. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. And so some of them ran even across back to the, the east side of the Jordan. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal and all the people followed him trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And so Saul's waiting, and his army's kind of there, and and they're afraid, and they're on the verge of just total panic. And they waited seven days in the time that Samuel said that he would come. They obviously had a conversation. Somehow they, they connected and communicated that He was to wait for him for seven days, and then he doesn't come. And so now they're really freaked out, and they just, it's like, we're out of here. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and a peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And so Saul gets impatient. He's not trusting the Lord And he says, I've I've got to do something. And and so he offers this sacrifice, which was not his responsibility. This was unlawful for him to do. He he was a, a king, not a priest. And so he's taking it upon himself to do things that God hadn't called him to do because of his impatience, because he felt like he had to do something. And Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me, And that you did not come within the days appointed. And that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal. And I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And so Saul has excuses here. He knows he's in the wrong. In fact, it almost seems like he knew he was in the wrong from the very beginning. I'm certain that he did. He had these excuses planned out. He didn't say, oh, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. He makes excuses. It's the people's fault. They, they scattered. They took off. I didn't know what else to do. It, it's your fault, Samuel. You said you were going to be here. You didn't show up. And so I figured I had to do something. It's the Philistines' fault. I mean, look at this army. They, they were encamped against us. They, they were going to attack us. Therefore, I felt compelled. I felt I didn't hear from God, I felt compelled. I had to do something. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin and Saul numbered the people present with him about 600 men. And so because of his impetuousness, his his impatience, his lack of faith, the Lord has now turned his back on him. The Lord's taken the kingdom from him because he had no heart for God and God knew that from the very beginning. And I think what we learn here is that We have to just trust the Lord and obey the Lord, even when things seemingly are falling apart around us and not take things into our own hands and not do things that God has not called us to do or asked us to do and certainly not do things that he's specifically commanded us not to do, which is what Saul does. He just takes things into his own hands. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make this happen instead of just trusting the Lord and being patient for God to work. And you know what? In this time right now, in a time of crisis, just like they were in, in a time where things are difficult, it's our tendency to take things into our own hands. It's our tendency to make things happen. It's our tendency to be impatient and to not have faith and to not trust the Lord. And God can't bless that and he won't bless that. I'm sure in all of our lives right now, there's, there's an area where we want answers and we don't see them. And God brings us to those places. He brings us to those places where Samuel is supposed to show up, but he's not there. And what's going on? And, and the people are scattered and, and things are falling apart and the enemy is, is coming in against you and things are tough and, and things are difficult. And it's our tendency... To launch out in the flesh. And we have to fight against that. We need to obey the Lord. And Saul, Jonathan his son, and the people present with them. Remained in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash. Then the raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines. In three companies. One company turned onto the road. To Ophrah, To the land of Shual. Another company turned to the road to Beth Horon. And another company turned to the road. Of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboeum, toward the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. So apparently the Philistines have killed or captured all of the blacksmiths. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for sharpening was a pim. It's about two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to set the points of the goats. So it came about on the day of the battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan his son. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. So they don't have any weapons. It's the bottom line. Not only do they have a depleted army, but they don't have any weapons. And they really have no way of getting the weapons except to go to the enemy to supply them. And I'm sure that the Philistines were just really bending over backwards to make sure they had appropriate weapons. And it's a horrible place to be in when you're actually having to appeal to the enemy to help you. And and how often do we as Christians... Look to the world, look to our flesh, look to the devil to actually fight against the world, the flesh and the devil. We look to fleshly means to fight against our flesh and it's no wonder we fail. We look to worldly means to fight against the world and it's no wonder we fail. We look to the devil, not purposely, not consciously, but we look to the devil to fight against the devil it's like, the, it's like the Israelites going to the Philistines to fight against the Philistines. Hey, do you think you could sharpen this spear so I can kill your brother? And I mean, I'm sure they were just like, you know, sawing off the end of it, making it really dull and then charging them all kinds of money. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And so... He's got this, this idea, but he's smart enough not to tell his dad because he knows his dad's an idiot. And he, he's like, you know what, I, I, I've got this idea, I've got this plan. Let, let's go over to the Philistines' garrison. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. So here's Saul, probably just talking with everybody about how great he is, sitting under the pomegranate tree, soaking up some rays, letting people serve him. And here's his son, who has a heart for God, who says, you know what? Let's go and do something. Forget about sitting around. Let's go do something. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother. And you remember Ichabod, who was the son of Eli, the son of Phineas, Eli's grandson. And you remember that Phineas died, and so did Eli and Phineas's wife, She was so bummed out and so depressed because everybody was dying around her. And she said, I'm going to name my kid Ichabod. And then she died in childbirth. And she just said, you know what? The glory has departed. Name this kid Ichabod. And here here is Ichabod's brother. And I think the reason that it's sort of inserted here because it's almost kind of without purpose. Verse 3, why do we need to know who these people are that were there I think it's because the Lord wants us to remind us the Lord wants to remind us that the glory had departed that Saul had just sucked the glory right out of the kingdom because of his stupidity and because of his reliance on the flesh. And this was the Lord's priest in Shiloh. He was wearing an ephod, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. And Jonathan went between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine's garrison. And there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes and the name of the other, Shana. The front of one faced northward opposite Michmash and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, and every officer would have an armor bearer. He would be like an assistant. He would help protect him. He would carry his armor. He would carry his weapons. He would give him... Insight and advice in battle. He was his right hand man, and every officer had one. And Jonathan says to his armor bearer, to his right hand man, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, to the Philistines. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. And I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible because. I've wanted to pattern my life after Jonathan. A guy that just takes risks. A guy that says, you know what? I don't have to see everything in perfect order. I don't have to have all my ducks in a row. And we see a couple things about Jonathan. One is, he's willing to take risks. He's willing to go up against an army that's like the sand on the seashore in multitude. With himself and another guy. He's willing to take risks. He's, he's willing to fail. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And you know why so many of us don't accomplish anything? is because we're afraid to fail. And it's our pride. We don't want to fail and so we do nothing. We, we're frozen with fear and so we would rather, like Saul, just sit around. But Jonathan isn't afraid to fail. He, he, he doesn't care what people think about him. And see, that's what we're often afraid of is, well, what will people think? What will they say? They'll think I'm a loser. They'll think I'm an idiot. But Jonathan realized, hey, what restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few? God doesn't need a whole bunch of help. God can save with a few people. God can, can save our nation with just one guy. And you know what? That's the kind of people that God's looking for. People that just say, I don't need a whole bunch of help. I, I don't need everybody to be behind me. I don't need everybody to think this is an amazing idea. And God's looking for that person that is willing to go at it alone if need be. God's willing, looking for that person that's willing to fail. And God is looking for that person that has enough faith to realize that one with the Lord is a majority. Jonathan had the Lord. They didn't. He knew that that was a majority. And what is God calling you to do that may seem ridiculous, that may seem like there's no way that's going to work. There's no way that you're going to be able to accomplish that. And I think our church ha- has been a real testament to that, of the things that God's accomplished through our church. And, and the community looks on and says, there's no way that little church should be able to do that. And, and somebody kind of titled our church, the little church that does big things. And at first when I heard that, I, it kind of offended me. Because when you call a church planner's work little, it, it's kind of offensive, you know. And But as I thought about it, it was, it was just like this. It was giving God the glory. And as our church has grown, I, I never want that to change. I always want to be taking risks. And so what was a risk to us five years ago may not be a risk to us today. And so let's push the envelope. Let's be like Jonathan that says, you know what? What restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few? Let's always be those people, that church that's willing to take risks, that's willing to fail. And in my life, I've made plenty of decisions and and launched out in things that have failed and done plenty of things that weren't successful. But if you don't do anything, you'll not be successful in anything. And so what's God calling you to do? What kind of opportunities do you have that just don't seem like there's any reason why that should work? What is it that the Lord would want you to take risks for him in? Because I'll say this, that that oftentimes in ministry, if it makes sense, it wasn't the Lord. If it makes sense, if it's logical, if it's something that, the world would look on and go, yeah, that that makes sense. I can understand that. Then typically, it isn't the Lord. But when when people look on and go, man, that makes no sense at all. I don't understand how that is working. I don't understand how that is happening. Just like when when people look on at the things that God has accomplished through our church. And I think they recognize that there's just no way that that should ever happen. And that's what I love about Jonathan. Let's just go up. Let's see what God wants to do. And you know what, you guys? That's what I want to infuse in this church is, is just that mindset. Let's see what God wants to do. Let's go up. Let's step out. Let's be willing to fail. Let's be willing to take risks. I hope if, if anything in my leadership style that that's what, some things that you've learned. It, this, is, this is the kind of church that I want to have. It, it never ceases to amaze me how when, when you try to get people behind stuff and to do stuff and, and, and how it's all about why it won't work. And listen to his armor bear. I love this guy. So his armor bear said to him, do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. You know what? Some of us are Jonathans. Some of us are guys and, and gals who are just risk takers, who are, who are called to go out and to make things happen. To have ideas, to have faith, to lead, to take risks. And some of us are armor bearers. Some of us are like this guy who get behind Jonathan's and say, you know what, do all that's in your heart. I'm here. I want to serve alongside you. I want to help your vision come to pass. I want to be a part of this. I I wouldn't have the idea. I wouldn't have the the guts. I wouldn't be able to take the risk maybe. But I'm willing to go behind you and I want to help. And I'll tell you the thing that Jonathans hate to hear. Oh, no, 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 that won't work. No, no, there, there's no way. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough help. That can't ever happen here. The people aren't ready for that. Jonathans really have no use for those kind of people because they're just dead weight. It's just like, you know what? Go sit under the tree with Saul. I don't have time for that. Now, of course, sometimes we, we need to, to be directed in the right Way and, and we need to, to have people point out things. But for the sake of this text, if you're not a Jonathan, be an armor bearer. Be a person that says, I'm with you. Do all that's in your heart. Go for it. And not just go for it, but I'll go with you. And if I'm going to tell you things that we need to look out for and that could possibly go wrong, I'm not telling you that to discourage you. I'm only telling you this to make us more effective. Do you understand the difference? There's people that are just like wet blankets. And just they just want to discourage. And they're pessimists. And nothing will work. But then there's really smart, gifted people. Who say, okay, I want to get behind that vision. But let me tell you a few things. From my experience, we need to, to do this and this. So that this doesn't happen. And Jonathan's can go, yeah, that's that's right. That makes sense. But not people that just say... There's no way that'll work and I'm not going. Good luck. Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has delivered them into our hand and this will be a sign to us. Now sometimes people confuse a fleece when God has given you clear direction and a fleece when you don't know what in the world you're doing. And there's a big difference. You you remember Gideon. God gave him clear direction. This is what I want you to do. Okay, Lord, well, just in case you're lying or you don't know what you're talking about or I'm not hearing you right, let me do this fleece. And then the Lord answered it. Okay, well, just in case, and now let's do it the opposite. But God had given him clear direction. So he was... Not trusting the Lord. He was demonstrating his lack of faith. But with Jonathan here, he had no direction. He was just launching out, trusting the Lord. And so he didn't want to be a fool. And so he wants to hear from God. And that is wise. And there's a big difference. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And I mean, I just kind of wonder how this went down. You know, two guys like, hey, here we are. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. So they're making fun of them. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you something. Or literally in the Hebrew, we will teach you a thing or two. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. Here's a leader. He doesn't say, okay, you go first. Let's see what happens. He says, look, you follow me. I'll go. I'll be the first one. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan. That is, the Philistines fell before Jonathan. This was difficult. This wasn't like a slam dunk. He's crawling up on his hands and knees. He, he's having to put effort out. And you know what, you guys? God's will typically involves work on our part. It involves effort. God wants to involve us in the process. Saul was sitting there under the tree thinking it was just going to come to him. And Jonathan recognized he had to go. In the power of the Lord, but he had to go. And so here they are. And they're falling as Jonathan is battling. They're falling before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. And so Jonathan's taken some out. And the ones that get by him, his armor bearer has taken them out. And the first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about half an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp and the field and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled and the earth quaked. And so there's not only the human, the natural element of these guys using their military skills, but there's also the divine and the supernatural. And as we step out and we do things for the Lord and we take risks for God... He will use us in very natural ways, but supernaturally. And I have found this to be true so many times. That God will use me supernaturally in very natural ways. Getting me into a situation in a very natural way, but then the supernatural is there. And that's what we see here, this earthquake and, and really confusion amongst the Philistines as they think that there's a lot more than two guys. Because if it wasn't for the divine element, let's face it, Jonathan and his armor bearer would have been taken out. I mean, they've already killed 20. 20 soldiers, highly trained soldiers with weapons should be able to handle two guys. And that's just 20. The rest of them are fleeing and running around and there's confusion and there's chaos because God was involved in this. Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked and there was the multitude melting away and there, and they went here and there. And so the watchmen, Saul's watchmen, are seeing the Philistines scattering and disappearing. Then Saul said to the people, Now call the roll and see who is gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. This seems like a really weird decision from Saul. Who cares who's there or who isn't? How about seizing upon the opportunity? God's given there's confusion there's chaos the Philistines are running scared here's an opportunity and all Saul cares about is who's gone and the only thing that makes sense is that Saul wants to know who's the one who is defeating the enemy because he doesn't want them to get the credit and Saul said to Ahijah bring the ark of God here for at that time the ark of God was with the children of Israel and so Here's Saul again thinking that the ark is some kind of military superstitious weapon. Bring it here. And again, Saul is just not realizing when the appropriate time and place is for things. He should have been praying before. He should have been seeking God before. Here's the opportunity to fight and to battle and to go do what God has called you to do. And he wants to get the ark and to seek the Lord. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines, continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled, and they went to the battle, and indeed every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was very great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. And so now they're involved in the battle. Once it looked like that they had an opportunity to win, then they got involved. Then they wanted to, to go out and be a part of it. And you know what? The Lord used them. And God will use you when you wait around for all of your ducks to be in a row, and everything to make sense, and everything to be comfortable, and okay, now I'll go. And God will use you, but how much better to be a Jonathan? And I think of that with like missionaries that say, I've got to have all my support, I've got to have every dollar that I need committed, then I'll go on the mission field. Really? Because you're just trusting in the word of man. You're just trusting in somebody that says, I'll commit to give you $100 a month. But how do you know they're going to follow through? If God's calling you, go. And I'm not saying to be foolish. I'm not saying to take care of your responsibilities because we need to do that. But when God's called you to go, there will always be an element of faith. There will always be things that you have to trust the Lord for. And that you just have to believe him for. Whatever it is. And if you wait until everything makes sense, you will miss out on that Beautiful opportunity to be a Jonathan and to see God work when it just doesn't make sense. And to see God use you in such powerful ways. And, and when you go, you know what, this had to be the Lord. This, this had to be God. And there's no question where when you wait until everything makes sense, you, you never really know if it was or not. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. And so here's Saul, once again, demonstrating his idiocy. So none of the people tasted food. Typically, when you're in a war, you don't want your soldiers to go without food and to not be nourished. Now all the people of the land came to a forest, and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey dripping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. Therefore he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it in a honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his countenance brightened. And so Jonathan just did what anyone would do to sustain himself as they're out battling and and using energy. And needing that nutrients. Then one of the people said. Your father strictly charged the people with an oath. Saying cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. What a terrible leader Saul is. But Jonathan said. My father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance has brightened. Because I tasted a little of this honey. And, and what I see with Saul. Is, is what I see with a lot of leaders. Is putting burdens on people that God doesn't. "...put upon them, putting expectations and rules and regulations that God hasn't." "...and it just sucks the wind out of the work of God." "...how much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found. For now, would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? Now they had driven back the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon." "...so the people were very faint, and the people rushed on the spoil." And took sheep, oxen, and calves, and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, saying, Look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. So he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone to me this day. Then Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people, and say to them, Bring me here every man's ox and every man's sheep. Slaughter them here and eat, and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood." So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he had built to the Lord. And again, Saul recognizes sin. He recognizes things that are wrong, but he recognizes it in others and not in himself. He recognizes their sin, but he never recognizes his own sin. And again, this is a a common problem Amongst those who have no heart for the Lord, their eyes are always on other people. Their eyes are always fixed upon other people's sin, but they have blinders to their own weaknesses. And this too is terrible leadership to only recognize what needs to improve amongst your people, but never look at your own heart and say, What can I do? God, where have I sinned? God, where do I need to improve and to make changes? Now Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. Then the priest said, let us draw near to God here. So Saul asked counsel of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. It's horrible when when you've hardened your heart against the Lord and hardened your heart against God. And he turns his heart against you and you cry out to the Lord and he doesn't answer because really Saul is not wanting to have a relationship with God. Saul is not wanting truly to do the will of God. Saul just wants God to be there when he needs him. He wants a God for his own convenience, a God to to answer his prayer. Okay, Lord, we're about to go against them. Are you going to deliver us, deliver them into our hands? And how many of us are guilty of that? We're not really interested in a relationship with God. We just want God to be there when we need him. And and God will not be manipulated. He's not our puppet. He's not a genie in a bottle. And Saul said, come over here, all you chiefs of the people, and know and see what this sin was today. For as the Lord lives, who, who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But not a man among all the people answered him. Nobody thinks this is a good idea. Not one person. And again, good leaders... Listen, good leaders are are willing to hear from their people and to ask questions. And good leaders recognize that when nobody agrees with me and no one is following me and no one thinks this is a good idea, I better stop and check myself. And I can't tell you how many pastors I've seen who are just so stubborn and so set in their ways of doing things Even though people are leaving their churches in droves and they won't recognize their own mistakes. And it's always somebody else's fault. Or a ministry within a church that's just being driven into the ground. And you go to the person, what's going on? How's your ministry going? Oh, it's going great. Really? Well, you started with 50 people and now you got two. And they have to be there and they don't want to be there. So maybe you ought to look around and say, what am I doing wrong here? And the common response is things like, well, the, the word of God is offensive. That, that might be the case if, if a few people are not into it, who are immature. People are always going to come and go. But when mature people who love the Lord are fleeing from your leadership, you've got to say, what am I doing wrong? You've got to be willing to listen and to hear from people. Nobody thought this was a good idea at all. But Saul doesn't care. Then he said to all Israel, You be on one side, and my son Jonathan and I will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. That's their common response now. Hey, whatever seems good to you, Saul. Yeah, just go ahead. Do it. Therefore Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, Give a perfect lot. So Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, Cast lots between my son Jonathan and me. So Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. So now I must die? Saul answered, God do so and more also. For you shall surely die, Jonathan. But the people said to Saul, and I mean, this is about the time where Saul goes completely nuts. He's just nuts. He's going to be chasing David all around, throwing spears at him. He just goes nuts from his own pride, his own selfishness. And it can blind you and it can make you insane. The people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die? Who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground. For he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan and he did not die. Then Saul returned From pursuing the Philistines. And the Philistines went to their own place. So Saul established his sovereignty over Israel. And notice Saul established it. God's hand is no longer upon Saul. He's doing this all on his own. And it's all in vain. Because God's not with him. And God's going to begin to raise up David. And Saul can do whatever he wants to establish his sovereignty. And to make people obey him. And to rule with an iron fist. But God's not with him. And man, there is nothing worse than that, than trying to do ministry, than trying to serve the Lord, than trying to lead in your own strength and in your own power, when you know full well that God's not with you. Horrible. And he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the people of Ammon, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he harassed them. And he gathered an army and attacked the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. The sons of Saul were Jonathan and these guys. And the names of his two daughters were these. The names of the firstborn, Mirab, and the name of the younger, Michael. The name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimeas. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul. And Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. Now there was fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him for himself. In chapter 15, which we'll look at next week, we basically see the end of Saul's reign as king. We, we see the end for him as he makes one last terrible decision. And it's a, a very, very applicable passages. Samuel says to Saul, you know what, Saul? To obey is better than sacrifice. God wants our obedience. And we'll look at that next week. So let's stand and pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you speak to us through your word. And and Lord, I pray that we've heard from you tonight. God, I know that there's people here that you want to raise up as leaders. God, there's people here who you want to be like Jonathan. God, who you want to go out and, and to take risks for you. God, to do things that people say can't be done. For your glory. Not for our glory. God, but for your glory and for your kingdom. God, forgive us for being willing to take risks for our own benefit and, and for worldly gain. But not taking risks for you. And not stepping out and being willing to sacrifice our lives. Lord, to take risks in ministry and service to you. And God, raise up Jonathans here tonight. And Lord, if you're putting that on, on somebody's heart, God, may they just commit themselves to be that and to take risks for you and to go out in, in service to you, Lord. And God, I pray that you'd raise up armor bears, Lord, people that will just come alongside, people that just want to serve, people that just want to help in whatever way they can and they want to get behind a leader's vision and a leader's heart and they're optimistic, Lord, and they're willing to use their talents and their gifts and their resources and, and they're willing to take risks but not necessarily be the front man. Lord, raise up armor bearers. God, raise up servants in this church to serve alongside the leadership. God, pour out your spirit. Raise up people to go and to be your vessels in this community so that you can flow through us and do the unthinkable for your glory. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at PO Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.